Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, a weekly wrap of the big sporting stories neatly knitted together for you by the sports team here at Radio New Zealand. I'm Clay Wilson and this week we review the Silver Ferns in the Constellation Cup series against Australia. What does a 3-1 series loss mean for their World Cup chances? We also hear from a former elite cyclist after the release of a damning review into the Cycling New Zealand High Performance Sprint Programme preview the Wellington Phoenix ahead of the new A-League season, chat to the Black Ferns and look back at one of the most powerful moments in Olympic history. The Silver Ferns wrapped up their Constellation Cup series against Australia this week, an 11-goal defeat in the fourth and final test, handing the Diamonds a 3-1 series victory. While it was a disappointing outcome for New Zealand fans, their team did give them reason to celebrate with an emphatic drought-breaking win in Test number 3. The Ferns also showed signs of progression under new coach Nolene Todor, which they will hope will continue with next year's World Cup less than nine months away. I spoke to my RNZ sport colleague Ravinda Hunia to assess the series and started by asking what she made of the way the Silver Ferns finished the series. Yeah, the the expectation for them to get the win last night was pretty high and they went into that match as favourites and that was because of the 11-goal win that they had achieved on the Sunday before. But it was never going to be an easy task against a side like Australia who obviously went back to the drawing board and did their homework uh, on the Silver Ferns. Uh, they said all week that their target would be to shut down Maria Falau. I, I think they did that, but they did that through... Um, closing down the mid-court flow through to her. So they did a number on Gina Crampton and Laura Langman, which limited um, the freedom that Maria had last game to just be able to run around, get the ball wherever she wanted and pop it in with ease. So they they bit back and they bit back hard and and that was to totally be expected. Uh, The attacking end of things for Australia was much stronger because Lisa Alexander went back to her um, twin tower duo that she calls them and Caitlin Bassett and um, Gretel Tippett who um, dominated that uh, attack end for Australia where Katrina Grant and Jane Watson kind of struggled to find answers to their flow on attack but um, they, they just went and did their homework really really well and, and did quite a number over the Silver Ferns. So a 3-1 series loss for the Ferns. Mm-hmm. How do you assess that series result, but I guess also the Ferns' performances over these four tests? Well, it was progression from start. Um, I mean, last night was kind of the hiccup, if anything, but that was the chance for Australia to redeem themselves, in in my opinion. But they progressed from Game 1 to Game 3, at least, with a 15-goal deficit in the first game, a 9-goal in Game 2, and then they won Game 3. So there were signs of progression throughout the series, which is what, Nolene Thodua, um always wanted 
um, was to show that um, the processes she was putting in place, the structures she, she was giving throughout the court were working. And I think throughout the series, she slowly got that buy-in from the players that, hey, this is working. And that if we play a game on our own terms at our own pace, we can actually do this. And I, to me, that's progression. And that's that's all that Nolan Total ever wanted. And last night's um, result was just a testament to how well the Australians can clap back after a loss. So you speak about progression. What specifically have you seen improve under Nolan Todor, not just on the court but off the court as well? It just seems like they're more comfortable on court with each other. They, uh, Nolan Todor did uh, stick with her same starting lineup in the first two matches, and I think in game three she she did it again. So she gave the players, I feel, confidence to know that she the she gave them faith that you know she knows they they can get the job done in the positions that she's given them. Some of them, um, like Laura Langman in game two, I think it was, she kind of started to pull back a bit in centre, and um, the Australian uh, mid quarter were you know almost getting the better of her at, at points. But Totoa was determined to keep her out there to keep building on those structures, to keep building on those combinations, which I think gave the team, you know, that sense of, okay, if we keep at this, my coach believes in me, we believe in each other, we can actually pull this off. And I think in game three, you know, they, they kind of did that. We also saw players coming out of their normal positions, like uh, Maria Falau, who came out of goal attack and found a home in goal shoot. And it's just looking at those little tweaks and style of play um, to not only try and counter Australia, but to, to do what's best for the whole team collectively rather than star players and star roles. Obviously last night showed just how strong Australia are though and even though England of course won that Commonwealth Games gold medal, I think it's fair to say everyone still sees the Diamonds as the benchmark. So yeah. with less than 12 months until next year's World Cup, how far is there to bridge that gap and what do the Silver Ferns need to do to bridge that gap to the Diamonds? First of all, Nolene Todua needs to be at the trials to select her team that she feels are the best, you know, 12 that she wants to carry forward. Whether that means bringing in somebody else that wasn't in this fold or not, that's totally up to her. But to have that control and vision and um, control from start to finish, I think, is the first step. Um, getting the right coaching staff behind her, as we've seen over these last few series, she's had different assistant coaches behind her, which is great for coaching New Zealand. But as much as we ask for consistency from players to be present every game, you know, it's kind of important to have a sound foundation in terms of um, a coaching bench as well. Um, in terms of, of skill and things like that, that will come as long as Nolene uh, Totoa sticks with, you know, a core group to take them where they need to be in terms of of um, play and ability. When I spoke to Lois Mua a few weeks ago, she said that once the younger players that have been selected um, strengthen their um, game smarts, that this team will go a lot further. And that only comes with time. And I'd have to agree with her there that you can be the fastest, you can be, you know, you can have the strongest passes, but if you don't have the game smarts behind you or if those aren't progressing, then you're in a bit of trouble. So I think for, in 12 months, you know, a player can really turn around in their career. We're seeing that now with Maria. She's been in the in the game for as, um, nearly as long as Laura Langman, and only now we're seeing the best um, performances that she can produce. RNZ sports reporter Ravinda Hoonia there, reviewing the four-test netball series between New Zealand and Australia.
A track cyclist who was fat-shamed and bullied by her coach two years ago is unsurprised by the findings of an independent review into the toxic culture at Cycling New Zealand. Released on Monday, the findings of the review conducted by Michael Heron QC show allegations of bullying, inappropriate behaviour and a dysfunctional environment within the sport's high-performance system were all well-founded. The report also says there was an inappropriate personal relationship between former track sprint coach Anthony Peden and a female cyclist. Another female cyclist, Steph McKenzie, was forced out of the national programme run by Peden, who unexpectedly resigned in May. McKenzie spoke to Morning Report's Guy and Espiner after the review findings were released and started by talking about her experiences under the coaching of Peden. Um, my experiences were obviously quite positive in the way of coaching. Um, I definitely enjoyed his coaching, um, and he's an amazing coach, but um, there were a few cracks that came along um, with that, um, and unfortunately the bullying started to come in with um, my weight, um, so that was definitely something that I was really uncomfortable with that. Why? What did, what did he say? Um, in terms of my weight, like living with type 1 diabetes is always a tough, um, tough ask. I don't use that as an excuse, um, but within the organisation that did come on to me um, as I was using diabetes as an excuse to lose weight. Um, so with me um, having to really lie about my weight, to be honest, um, that was, yeah, really um, something that shouldn't have to happen at such a young age as well. Yeah, so with type 1 you've got a risk of your blood sugars going uh, too low if you're doing a lot of uh, exercise as you would be as a high performance athlete so you'd need to be, to be eating to push your sugars up, right? Yeah, that's, that's correct um, and also um, there's obviously some stress hormones that do play a part of um, either losing weight and gaining weight as well so I think there's a fine line um, where it comes to making sure that I'm eating appropriately um, and therefore um, making sure that I, you know, lose the weight appropriately rather than being he, told to lose yeah. weight. Yeah. And he used some what sounds like some, some pretty ugly language. Yeah, I mean it is it's so inappropriate. Um I think there definitely needs to be some um uh rules put in place I guess or maybe some etiquette. Um just plain plain old school etiquette is probably what they need. Would you I mean it's been described as fat shaming, was that what you felt it was? I think at the time, you know, being young and um, definitely trying to enjoy the sport, uh, I definitely didn't end up enjoying the sport because um, I stopped enjoying it because I was being told every day to lose weight. And, uh, you know, as a young girl, I think I ended up, you know, um, not in the right mind of mindset um, or yeah. frame of mind. Um, yeah. So let's broaden this out because uh, there are a lot of um, allegations against him, yes. including of an inappropriate relationship with a, a female um, athlete. Um, what do you know of anything about that, and is this person still on the team? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I wasn't in the squad officially, but I was still part of it, um, you know, with friends and stuff in there. Um, but that is correct that um, she is still in the programme. Um, and, yeah, it's, it is quite interesting to see that. Have you got an issue with that at all? I mean, is she there on, on merit or...? 
Um, I think she definitely has. I know that she's put in a, a lot of hard work and she deserves to be in the team, but the way that things have happened, I think that's so inappropriate to still be in the team on those circumstances. Um, so I think there should still be some consequences. I don't know what they might be, um, but it is so inappropriate um, to hear that in a high-performance programme. Mm. It's been described as run as an old boys club. Is that the way you saw it? Oh, definitely. I think that's right from when I jumped into the um, the high performance squad. It is still, you know, it was a high, um, an old boys club. Um, but I think a lot of organisations do run along that. So hopefully there are a few things that can be changed um, with a lot of organisations. Um, yeah. And where does it go from here? Do you think is this a chance to give it a good clean out and to to improve the the culture within cycling New Zealand? Hundred percent. I mean that that report was so extensive, eighty four pages long. I think that's something that shows um, that that report needed to be done and things need to be done. There are recommendations that I think I do totally agree on, and yeah, it definitely needs to be done. So I hope that um, for the youth that are coming through the cycling um, ranks, that they don't have to ever feel um, bullied or in an inappropriate um, environment, so that they can still. Ex- succeed as well so I think they're turning a new leaf and hopefully um, it is going to be successful. Former elite cyclist Steph McKenzie there talking on Morning Report after the findings of an independent review into Cycling New Zealand's high performance programme were released this week. The new A-League football season starts this weekend with the Wellington Phoenix hosting the Newcastle Jets. For a long time it appeared this could be the last rising for the Phoenix, who have struggled for a number of years. But constitutional changes at the highest level of the league and a new coach and new approach have brightened the club's prospects. Barry Guy reports. Here is Singh with the first shot on goal! A starting debut! We sing when we're winning, say the crowd. We've only had two minutes, one nil up. Sapreet Singh, what a stunning start! There were a few bright spots last season, but they were few and far between. Now up steps Australian Mark Rudin, the Phoenix's third coach in as many years. The 43-year-old former player says he didn't come to the club wanting to make major changes with their systems. Rather, it was about what suits them to win any given week. I've had to change my own philosophy somewhat in terms of what I'm used to as a coach. And so you've got to be adaptable, and I've said to my players that they have to be as well. Carlo Ancelotti gave me a, a, some fantastic advice. You, you've got to adapt to what you have. It doesn't happen the other way around. But Rudin probably never expected his team would be such a hard sell to local players, with many declining invitations to trial while others headed overseas. General Manager David Dome says it's hard to get New Zealand players to go to Wellington. Some of them want to go to Europe and try their luck there. Some New Zealand players are very comfortable where they are, and we have actually had New Zealand players tell us that they won't come to Wellington for a trial, they'll come for a contract only. To be honest with you, that's not an acceptable course for us. One of those young New Zealand players who is happy at the Phoenix is midfielder Sarpreet Singh, who burst onto the scene last year and ended up with a call-up to the All Whites. The 19-year-old says they were taken completely by surprise when Rudin organised a 24-hour boot camp with the New Zealand Army, something that took all the players out of their comfort zone. We got tested quite a lot physically and mentally, but I just think the no sleep and no food factor was quite heavy. In situations like that, it's important to stay together, and that's what we did. With everything that was thrown at us, we got on with it. The person that knows the most about the club and has been through thick and thin is Captain Andrew Durante. 
Durante enters his 11th and possibly last season with the club with something to prove. My motivation personally is to go out and give the fans what they've wanted to see for the last few years and that's a a team that they can be proud of. Our goal this year is to get 10,000 fans plus coming to watch us and as players we know the only way for that to happen is for results for us to win games. Mike Allen will agree with Durante. He's been a supporter from day one and he believes the club needs to make the most of their underdog status against the Australian sides. They hate coming over here to play us. No one wants to lose to the Wellington Phoenix. It's the importance of winning early in the season. So when we turn up to that first home game, if we don't get the result we want, it'll sort of just bring back a few reminders to fans. Oh, you know, here we go again, it's going to be another tough one. And with the A-League about to become a self-governing body, separate from Football Federation Australia, the Phoenix's future does appear brighter. The latest version of the Phoenix takes to the field on Sunday up against former coach Ernie Merrick and the Newcastle side that was beaten in last year's final. If Mark Rudin's philosophy is anything to go by, the approach is a simple one for the Phoenix. We're all going to be better. You know, we all have to, to lift the bar here at this football club. And uh, I keep saying it to everybody, it's not just about doing it once or twice or for a month or for two months. Can you do it for six months and eight months and 12 months? And let's see where we are, where we are then and assess us then. The fans, though, do want something to cheer about early in the season. Sarpreet Singh! That'll get the crowd going. For Morning Report... Barry Guy. The NBA basketball season got underway this week with New Zealand's Stephen Adams back in the thick of it for Oklahoma City, who played defending champions the Golden State Warriors in the opening round. There was doubt Adams would play the season opener as he's been having back issues. While he eventually took the court, he was unable to stop Golden State taking a 108 to 100 win. Earlier in the week, Adams was forced to bypass a book signing he was due to attend to promote his book, My Life, My Fight, The Life Story So Far, which he's co-written with journalist Madeline Chapman. Chapman was the New Zealand Javelin champion in 2013 and 2017 and got to know Adams on the Wellington basketball scene in their teenage years. She talked to Noel McCarthy on Saturday morning recently. We had a lot in common and he sort of just had a slightly more extreme version of everything so we both had way too many siblings and it's probably necessary but how many do you have I have nine and he is 13 so you know he just had you know enough for almost three basketball teams and like you know he went to a private school and I went to a private school and we're both on scholarship um his was like a you know he came from sort of not going to school at all to going to a private school. I came from the Catholic school in the city to a private school. So everything's just sort of a little bit mellowed in my version of events. But, yeah, we sort of... Sometimes they would come over. Scots College would come and do a class at at Marsden, where I was, and you kind of, you know, just a bit of a head nod, like, hey, you know, sort of weird seeing each other outside of the gym where usually you just see each other, you're all sweaty and gross, and that's pretty much how you know that person and then you see each other in your sort of prim uniforms and it's almost a little bit embarrassing you're kind of like his was a journey to the prim uniforms that is a very vividly rendered part of the story him turning up in scott's college i think what what, what is it you say this giant brown person who is not Mm -hmm. kempt 
in any way and mm. and even the teachers he said so were alarmed looking at him and he's sent off to fix his hair and sort himself out before he can come back to school but there is a real emotional resonance in this part of the story because the school was almost harder to do than the getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to basketball training wasn't it that's and that's what he tries to always say whenever he's talking to even at his camps he always says you know do your homework eat your veggies, which is sort of a stolen line from Kenny McFadden, his coach. But it's true, you know, he found it very hard to to be enthusiastic about school. And it took him a while, but now he's a very big, you know, he likes to, as soon as he gets his mind on a topic, he'll read, he'll try and read everything about that topic. He's very into learning and surrounding himself with people who can teach him things, no matter what the subject is. So... It took him a few years at Scots to get into that, and I think maybe if he'd gone to any other school, Scots was sort of just a lucky break in a sense, but if he had gone to another school, he might not have gotten that sort of intense focus in the classroom that he needed. He voted for Gareth Morgan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> He's succinct on this, isn't he? He says who you vote for is, is an age thing, a race thing, or a money thing. Mm. And that changing categories for him, I'll let you tell it, because that feels to me like the propulsive heart of the story in lots of ways. Yeah, I mean, if you see him, and people have spotted him around Wellington and uh, New Zealand the last couple of months, he's never dressed in anything that would suggest that he has earned $20 million this year. You know, he wears the same... He wore the same outfit every single time I saw him over the course of this book. And at first I thought maybe he was like one of those cartoon characters that just has a closet full of the exact same outfit. Or Steve Jobs, yes. Yeah, but no, 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 he he just had one coat that he wore every day, before training, after training, in the rain, in the sun. It was just, yeah, that was his coat. He liked wearing that coat and he wore it all the time. I think he still wears it everywhere. It's a camo one. Um, but... That's just him, you know, he just he gets exactly what he needs and nothing more. So I think in his mind he is still very much the same as the people that he grew up around, even though the people he grew up around maybe don't have an extra few million dollars in the bank, just in case. It's an early revelation in the book that he, it's, he wasn't good at basketball, he was just tall. Is, yes. that, is, is that one of your first memories of him? Yes, because I remember the first players that I knew were good in my age group because everyone knew who the really good players were and if you were going to play their team, you know, watch out for so-and-so. He was never in that list. It was, oh, there's, there's a really tall guy who plays for Rotorua, but, I mean, their team wasn't that great either, so they weren't exactly, you know, a team that everyone uh, scouted for. But he was always just the very tall guy with the long hair, and that was it. And then when he showed up in Wellington and he cut his hair, I didn't even... Rec- I thought it was someone else. And people go, no, that's that tall guy who used to play and wasn't very good. And I thought, oh, well, he's a lot better now. And, yeah, so he, he wasn't he wasn't good. He was athletic, like he could run and, you know, catch, but he, he definitely didn't seem like the basketball mind that he turned out to be. Tell me about the money, because, you know, $100 million, it's almost notional. It's almost too much money. And I know what you're saying about he's got the same jacket, and he talks about this in the book. You know, he doesn't like 
bling so he doesn't spend it on jewellery. And he says it's quite hard to spend money. But that must have changed his life. Things must be different with that much money, or not. I mean, I think the difference is that he he hasn't been in a position where you or I, or I assume you, at least me, uh, that thing where you go, like, you go to school and you work a part-time job and then you pay rent and then, you know, oh, you're a bit short this week so you can't get the groceries you would like and that sort of thing. He never went through that period. He went from school where he, you know, fortunately had a lot of people looking out for him um, and I guess a lot of parental figures to college on a scholarship, which is a very good sporting college. So you've got a lot of people looking out for you, sort of taking care of your needs, and then straight to the NBA. So there was never the sort of the in-between of just your kind of everyday, almost mundane, not struggle, but just mundane day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck. He kind of went from nothing to everything. So I guess in that sense, it's almost less of a change, you know, because it's not suddenly not having to worry about money, it's just not having to worry about money, but in a different sense. What a, what a stroke of good fortune, I suppose, in retrospect for Steve Adams to strike a team like that for your first pick. Do you think that's made a difference? Yeah, I think it's made a huge difference. I think they actually were a perfect fit, and if he had gone to any number of other teams, everything would be completely different now. It's just, and that's the thing with the NBA, is that you could be drafted into your favourite team and this just doesn't turn out. Well, this is the thing, and he could still of course be traded or or sent somewhere else at the drop of a hat really couldn't he that's the nature of the game yeah it's unlikely he's sort of uh, Oklahoma's sweetheart over there I think it would be and obviously he's sort of earned that title I think everyone would be extremely surprised if he was traded it would be more of a at the end of his contract in three years if he if he decides to to go to somewhere else, yeah. Would he do that, do you think, or what would be behind the decision to do that? I mean, I think the only reason he would do it is if he went somewhere where he thought he had a better chance of winning a ring, an NBA championship, which at the moment he is pretty confident that he will win a ring at Thunder. So in that sense, yeah, he's very loyal as well, and if he sees that other people have put their faith in him and have been loyal to him, he will return the favour. And in that sense, the Thunder definitely have by offering him that huge contract that they did. You know, that was putting a lot of trust and faith into quite a young player. So I think he he would definitely not leave lightly. But, you know, he's still early in his career. Anything can happen. Noel McCarthy talking to writer Madeline Chapman. Fifty years ago this week, the American sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos made one of the most memorable political statements in sport. Smith won the 200 metres gold medal and John Carlos the bronze medal at the 1968 Mexico Olympics. On the medal podium, both athletes gave the Black Power salute to highlight civil rights issues in the United States. Both were expelled from the Games. Smith had originally advocated a boycott of the Mexico Games. The New Zealand athlete Les Mills was in the stadium at the time and says he didn't really know what was going on. When I saw it, I thought, well, this is a bit strange. What's going on here? Pardon me, I was friends with uh, Peter Norman, who finished second in that race, and you might remember 
Peter did not have a black glove on, but he, he sort of put his hand on his heart and he stood there happily with them. I didn't make anything of it, to be honest, because I didn't really know what it was all about. And it wasn't, of course, until later and, and the media picked up on it and there were a lot of there was a lot of comment on it that that I began to realize that this um, this was a, a black power demonstration and uh, I thought it was a bit out of place at the Olympics but I didn't think too badly of it I thought that the, it was a reasonable thing in in one sense but wrong in the other in other words it's a quite a, a memorable occasion where there's a victory ceremony and and the flags raised and you know the anthems are played and for that to happen was somewhat strange but I understand what was behind it and and I don't think too badly of that. It would have started a lot of talk at the time and especially in the media and and the likes because something like that was as you say unusual for a big sporting event like that. Yes it was it was very unusual and uh, they were very fine athletes, of course. And, you know, I'd followed that event very carefully because of a friendship with Peter Norman, the Australian, uh, who split that uh, the, the pair of Americans, the man for his second. And I, I don't think many people knew what really what was going on at all because there'd been a lot of drama in Mexico in terms of the games and there'd been... Uh, a lot of, let's say, not not relating to black power, but there'd been a lot of drama relating to protest and student protest and government intervention. Um, there'd been riots and there'd been people disappearing and there'd been all sorts of things going on that made it, and a lot of them, I believe, hushed up, that made it quite... Uh, an alarming and strange Olympics. That was former Kiwi Olympic athlete Les Mills talking to Barry Guy. And that's a wrap for this week's Extra Time podcast. We welcome any feedback which you can send in via email to sport at radionz.co.nz. To stay up to date with all the latest in the sporting world, give us a follow on Twitter through our handle at RNZ Sport or check us out on the web rnz.co.nz forward slash sport. Thanks for listening. I'm Clay Wilson, wishing you a great weekend. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.